Welcome back to The Growth Guide. One of the biggest things I've learned in being the host of a podcast where I have conversations with people every day, it's not always the question that matters. It's the question behind the question. And that's why I was excited to have John G. Miller on the show to talk about his book, QBQ, The Question Behind the Question, Practicing Personal Accountability at Work and in Life. John founded QBQ Inc., an organizational development firm dedicated to helping people and organizations make personal accountability a core value. If you read anything I wrote, you know I believe owning your own shit is the most important thing you can do in your life. You're going to learn a lot about that in this conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. John, welcome to The Growth Guide. I'm going to start us off with a bit of a longer question about your book, QBQ. And it ties to the the older I get, the more I've noticed that there seems to be a lack of personal responsibility and ownership in business, in society, in the workplace. And the more I see a sense of entitlement, which is why a post that I saw on LinkedIn about your book, QBQ, really jumped out at me. And then in the first few pages... I read about a sign that you saw over the Houston freeway. Can you tell us what the sign said and why did that jump out at you so much? Thank you, Clint. Probably because of my experience. I had been selling leadership and management training in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota for several years when I saw this sign down in Houston. And the sign simply said, whatever happened to personal responsibility? And I wanted to yell, amen. Because that's exactly what I'd seen in my work with organizations. And I discovered I discovered by then that there was a lot of blame and finger pointing going on and organizations needed a lot of help. Now, what we teach is for personal uh, use, people, but, you know, people make up organizations. So what I teach is something that organizations benefit from, but it begins with Clint and it begins with John practicing this message And that jumped out at me, I think, because I'd done all this management training, facilitating like 10,000 hours of workshops with really good people, and I saw a real lack of true accountability. And I love that you had another lesson on what I believe was a separate road trip when you stopped in at a diner to get a meal, and a young man, Jacob Miller, no relation, I think, no relation. Uh, provided you with a level of service that was out of this world and demonstrated all the aspects of personal responsibility. Right. What was it about that meal, that relationship that you saw from Jacob that was so different than what we see on average today? Sure, sure. Uh, well, let me just tell the story. The method that we call QBQ or the question behind the question is all about asking questions that raise me up to a level of personal accountability and and get me out of that blame game trap. So I look for real life examples all the time, Clint, of people who have asked those better questions, whether they know it or not. Now, Jacob does not probably know QBQ, but he was practicing it and I witnessed it. And here's what happened. It was the Rock Bottom restaurant, and I had walked in on a Thursday, and it was really busy, and they had no place to put me, and so they put me at the bar, and 
So I was sitting at the bar waiting to be waited on and, and they were just very chaotic and busy that day and I wasn't getting much attention. Then all of a sudden a young man runs by me heading right into the kitchen carrying a big tray of dirty dishes and he just stops. I'll never forget. He kind of looked out of the corner of his eye and he turned and he said, sir, have you been helped? And I said, no, not yet. And I'm kind of in a hurry. He said, well, I can help you. What would you like? I said, oh, just a chef salad and a roll. And he said, what would you like to drink? I said, I'll have a Diet Coke. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We only sell Pepsi products. And I said, I oh, know, thanks. I'll have water and lemon. He says, great. So he takes off. And a few minutes later, he's back. And, and he brings the salad and he brings the roll and the water and the lemon. And I say, thank you. And he's, he says, you're welcome. And he's gone. And here's a key point. I was completely satisfied, Clint. He didn't need to go the extra mile. I still would have walked out of there with positive feelings towards this organization. But suddenly, I feel the wind of enthusiasm blowing behind my back. The long arm of service stretches over my shoulders. And at lightning speed almost, places right next to my plate a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke. Just what I'd asked for. Thank you. You're welcome. He takes off. My first thought, hire him. <laughs> and I don't care if he went to college. You know, I want to hire character over credentials. And so I called him over and I said, I thought you didn't have Coke products. He said, we don't. I said, well, where did this come from? He said, grocery store around the corner. You're kidding. I said, who paid for it? He said, oh, I did, sir. Just a dollar out of my tip money. <laughs> Very very shrewd salesperson now. And I said, wait a minute, you've been busy. How did you have time to go get it? I'll never forget. He straightens and he smiles and he points, you know, he points. He says, oh, I didn't go get it, sir. I sent my manager. I mean, how many of us, Clint, would like to send our manager somewhere on some days? I sent my manager. I said, why? Now he looks a little disappointed. He said, I'm sorry, sir. Didn't you want one? Oh, wow, that's service. The customer wanted this. You didn't offer it. You found a way to get it to him. That's, that's great. I mean, it's only a Diet Coke, but it was a, it's a metaphor for going the extra mile, doing something right for the customer, doing, going above and beyond. It was soon time to leave. When I came back, I asked for him. His name was Jacob Miller. And the hostess says to me, oh, I'm sorry, Jacob is no longer. And right then I thought, oh, don't. Tell me you lost a guy. And this is the key to the message we teach at QBQ, the question behind the question. I'm thinking, don't tell me you lost a guy who did not say, when are we going to get more help around here? Why don't I get more training? Why do we have to go through all this change? When is the customer going to learn to read the menu? Why can't my coworkers do their job right? Or you lost a guy who did not point at me sitting at the bar and say, well, not my problem, not my department, not my job. So I'm thinking all this. You lost a guy who didn't ask lousy questions that take us to blame. You lost someone who just stopped and said, how can I help you, sir? What can I do to solve the problem? How can I contribute? And I didn't say all that to her, of course. Our brains move very quickly. Let's go back. I said, one for Jacob Miller's section, please. And she said, I'm sorry, Jacob is no longer and I thought all that stuff, but then I stopped and I said, oh, don't tell me you lost him. And she said, oh, no, sir, we didn't lose him. We promoted him to management. And of course, I'm thinking, management, nice. what a waste. <laughs> now he's a manager. Now he's got the big title. But I've told that story a long time and people remember it because it was someone who went out of their way. They went above and beyond. They went the extra mile. They could have said, you know, why is this happening? When are others going to get their job done correctly? Why don't we get more support from management? But he just said, what can I do right now to solve the problem? And he solved the problem. So that's personal accountability. And that's what we teach at QBQ.
And, and so before we jump into the question behind the question or QBQ, you highlighted some of the things that people will often throw out. And often it can start up in our own mind. Let's call that is in the Eastern world, they like to refer to that as the monkey mind. And it often raises questions and spins negative thoughts, which are almost always wrong. And that leads to what you call IQs, not the IQ that the listener is probably thinking of. So can you take them through, you know, the downside? What are these IQs that lead us to the blame side of things? And then we'll dive into the QBQs and how we get to the positive side of things. You bet. Thanks, Clint. Good question. Let, Let me give your listeners a little history because we need to know where the material came from. I went to Cornell. University, you know, Ivy League, upstate New York, where my dad was a wrestling coach. I didn't get this at Cornell. There are a lot of authors out there that talk about leadership. I didn't steal this from another author. (laughs) I'm sitting in 10,000 hours of workshops from 1986 to 1995 with really good people running companies. And I'm listening. And I didn't know I was listening, of course. It It took a few years for me to catch on that I was beginning to hear a pattern. And the pattern were externally focused questions, questions that focused on other people that I can't change or environments or situations I couldn't control. Questions like, and I mentioned some of them in the story, why do we have to go through all this change? When is someone going to train me? Who dropped the ball? Who missed the deadline? Who hired these people? Oh, wait, I did. Why don't we get more tools to do our job? When will we get better systems? I was hearing these externally focused questions, and I finally figured out there was a pattern and a tone to them. And the tone was, I'm not accountable. We would ask groups, what's your biggest problem here? And they always came out with the C word, not change, not confusion, not competition. They always came out with communication. And it was always in this context. Why don't they communicate better? When will they communicate more effectively? Why don't others understand me? Why don't others listen to me more effectively or better? So I had a pattern, externally focused questions. And I realized they began with why and when and who. So one day I went to a group, St. Jude Medical, they make heart valves in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I taught them this little idea. I said, let's turn the question around. So instead of asking, why do we have to go through all this change? Let's ask, what can I do to adapt today? Instead of asking, when are they going to train me? Let's ask, how can I develop myself? Instead of asking, when will that department do its job right? How about asking, what can I do to be my best today? And I'm teaching it. And very quickly, it got labeled the question behind the question. And I honestly, to this day, don't remember who first shortened it to an acronym, QBQ. I was just smart enough to trademark it. (laughs) QBQ. And I was off and running. Because I came back to St. Jude Medical a few months later, and they were using it. And Clint, if you know much about the learning and training business, which I know you do, 90% of the stuff that's taught out there is never applied. People leave a session, they go, oh, that felt great, but they go right back to work. Yeah, it's all forgotten. Nothing's applied. But QBQ was remembered by people. And so this was the mid-90s. And I was, for a while, I kind of fought it. I need to teach the seven steps to trust building and the nine characteristics of leadership. But, you know, that, that stuff's out there. But nobody had heard about this QBQ before, and they were all remembering it. So I kind of reshaped my career and based it all on QBQ and personal accountability. And it became a tool to help people 
eliminate three traps, blame, victim thinking, and procrastination. And we can explore those if you'd like, but that's where it came from. And that's what it sounds like. Avoiding externally focused questions, which we call IQs, incorrect questions, and asking the question behind the question. Good stuff. And I heard a couple guidelines in there that I really want to focus in on and get you to expand on on how you got there and, and how such a simple little shift does it. And so what I was hearing was we replace why, when, and who with what or how. Right. And we take out you or they and replace it with I. Yep. So instead of why do they, how can I? Right. Big difference. Big difference. Thank you. The reason I think it works so well is as humans, nobody likes to be told, Clint, you need to be more accountable. Clint, you're not responsible. But the minute I see a way to bring the focus back to what can I do? It actually feels very good. It releases or reduces my stress because it is very stressful to wonder, why doesn't Clint do his job? When is Clint going to get his act together? But the minute I say, well, what can I do to be better today? I let go of that stuff I can't control and, and there's less stress, less anxiety, and I can get more accomplished. So the guidelines make a difference. It makes it very practical for people. I am a trainer and people will classify me. And, and now my daughter, Kristen, who's 40, she's out there teaching QBQ now for the past 15 years. They, people will sometimes classify us as motivational speakers. No, motivation will come when you have a tool to use to solve problems. Fine, call us that if you want. But we really are teachers and trainers of an idea. And so if I ask a question that begins with what or how, contains the word I, and focuses on action, then I can bust those three traps out of my life. Blame, victim thinking, procrastination. And the key to this methodology is I, let's say I learn it. I read the book or I hear a presentation by John or Kristen or whatever. I listen to this, this podcast. I go back to a meeting and I'll hear people say things like, well, when is management going to give us the vision? And all of a sudden I'll go, wait a minute, that's the wrong question. What can I do to be more productive today? We'll hear somebody say, well, why don't they give us more budget money? Well, how can I achieve with the money and the budgets and the tools I already have? It's a whole different way of focusing each day on the world, on myself. And all of a sudden, I'll hear everything differently. I'll, I'll hear everybody else pointing fingers. And I'll start to say, well, what can I do to help solve this problem? It's just a really fun way to live life, personal accountability. And part of what that comes down to is the recognition that everything we do is a choice. And so that's one thing you see with a lot of people is they don't think they have choices in life. So, well, this is my job or this is my relationship. But, well, you choose that job. You can leave. Sure, you might not have money coming in, but that's still a choice you're making. You're choosing the relationship. You can leave. Sure, there are repercussions, but you're choosing. So how important is it to recognize that everything we do is our choice? It's it's incredibly powerful because as long as I think I have to do something, I am a victim. My mentor 30 years ago used to say, I don't even have to pay my taxes. And then he would pause and say, I just don't like the consequences if I don't. (laughs) I'm choosing to pay my taxes. I remember years ago having this debate with a, a woman over dinner. My wife and I went out with another couple and the woman was saying, 
Oh, that's not true. I have to do the laundry. I said, no, you don't. You and your husband could smell funny forever. <laughs> you don't have to do your laundry. It's everything is a choice. And what's exciting about that simple concept is the minute I realize I don't have to do something, but I choose to, I just feel better. Less stress, less anxiety, more freedom. It's volition. My own will. I'm, I'm doing things on my own will. It doesn't mean I don't serve people. It doesn't mean I don't give in. My wife wants to go somewhere. I don't really want to. I choose to go. Okay, fine. I choose to go. But I'm, I'm no longer thinking I have to go. So choices are very powerful. And QBQ is all about choices. We actually define it as a tool for people to practice personal accountability by making better choices in the moment. And, and that's the key. All day long, Clint, I am making choices. Now, here's the key. What am I choosing? I am not choosing my next action. That's where some organizations get off track. They talk about best practices. We should be talking about best thinking because long before choosing an action or even an emotion, I am choosing a thought. So if I think, you know, Clint, Clint's just a bad guy, then that's going to bring emotions to me that I don't need and maybe behaviors that are negative. But if I think, let me learn about Clint. Let me study Clint. Let me get to trust Clint. Let me get to know Clint. My thoughts will bring me better emotions and more effective action. So everything begins right here with a thought and choices yeah. and thoughts are synonyms. They are the same thing. And QBQ helps me make better choices. So instead of, I saw you chuckle at this one. When are they going to give us the vision? I love that. People standing around in hallways of organizations saying, I cannot be productive until I have a vision. <laughs> Wait a minute. Do your job. Do your job. So instead of being cynical, which is a real cancer in organizations, instead of being cynical, why doesn't management give us the, the vision? Why is management doing this to us again? Well, what can I do to be my best today? How can I serve my colleagues? What can I do to understand what my boss needs? The minute I ask those better questions, thinking, emotions, behaviors, everything's more positive. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy what you're hearing so far and want me to be able to get your favorite guests on this show, please do me a quick favor. Subscribe to the show and leave me a rating. The 30 seconds of your time will mean a ton to me. I think one you've mentioned a few times is this idea of victimhood. And maybe could you contrast victimhood or the victim mindset that a lot of people have with the idea of the no excuses military style. And I loved that, you know, you contrasted someone in the book that left the military and they went from that no excuses military style quickly to civilian life, we'll call it, yep. victim mindset until, until they realized through QBQ that they had shifted yep. from the military style to the victim mindset. Let me just say, Clint, you have truly read the book, and I'm honored. <laughs> Thank you. You have done your homework. I've been interviewed by other people who never got to the book, so they just asked me a lot of questions. But <laughs> you're challenging me because you know the material. I I'm impressed. All these traps merge together. I mean, if I, if I think I'm a victim, then I'm going to make excuses. Well, I can't. Let's just take sales. I am a salesperson. I've been selling stuff since 1986 when I was 28. If I think I can't sell today because our prices are too high, 
The competition has better advertising. My territory stinks. My boss doesn't coach me. My customers don't return my calls. Okay, those are a bunch of excuses. They put me in a victim mode. I'm now feeling sorry for myself. I'm having a pity party. That leads to procrastination. I'm not taking action. I'm not making calls anymore. I'm not getting out on sales meetings. So it's all very messy in some sense. You know, victim thinking and excuses and, and delaying action, procrastination, they all kind of merge together. We just segment them in the book and our teaching so we can really focus on, am I playing victim? I spoke at my alma mater just a few years ago, Cornell. I was asked, I'm in my 60s, I was asked, Clint, to come, to, come speak to a bunch of 20-year-olds in 2021 about accountability. Think about that just for a minute. If you know much about what's going on in college campuses. I, so I spent 40 minutes talking to 120-year-olds about accountability. And a young man came up to me and he actually, I'll, I'll keep this short. He finally helped me understand what he was frustrated with. He did not feel he could not play victim because the entire culture of the campus was victim. I'm offended. Nobody does enough for me. My parents didn't support me enough. My professors are too hard on my papers. He literally was trying to say, and his name was Gabriel, Mr. Miller, I like what I heard. I don't know how to practice it because my friends won't buy into it. And that's the power of groupthink. You would know that. So if we're in a group at an organization where there's a lot of victim thinking going on, a lot of, a lot of cynicism, a lot of finger pointing, well... We have a choice. We can leave that organization or we can simply rise above and say, well, I'm done with all that. What can I do today to be my best? So it's very difficult for some people culturally to get out of victim thinking. But the minute they learn QBQ and those three guidelines, they can start doing it that day. I've had people go home from sessions, Clint, and email me at midnight and say, oh, my gosh, it works. I've been really frustrated with my 16-year-old son recently, and I've been yelling at him and blaming him and complaining about him. And I went home and I said, Seth, what can I do to be a better dad today? And we had the best talk ever. So QBQ, very practical stuff. Important one you just said that right there, when you were talking about the organization, you said, I can either jump on board and I can believe, or I can leave. Can you dive into that? Because that simple three-word statement believe or leave. I, I loved how that resonated when I read the book. And where do you see that come into play most often? No. First of all, I don't say it lightly. It is in the book. It's also in our other book, Outstanding, where we expand on it, the book titled Outstanding, Believe or Leave. And that, that just came from, <clears throat> excuse me, years of me doing all this training. And, you know, I'd go out in the hallway or I'd go into the restroom and people would privately complain to me about management or their coworkers or the company. And we, we'd spend half a day writing a mission statement or a vision statement back in the 90s when that was kind of the hot thing to do and no problem. And people would come in out in the hallway and say, well, we, we can't live that mission. That's not us. That didn't describe us a bit. That'll never work. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, then why are you here? You know, the average man dies at 78. Do you want to spend the next 40 years unhappy and for you know women too you want to spend the next few decades working for a company that a you don't believe in b you don't believe in the people around you c you don't believe in the products and services you're creating each day so 
Believe or Leave came from those experiences. And I and I don't say it lightly, Clint. You know, some people have mortgages to pay. <laughs> some people have bills. We understand that. But I am convinced in what I'm about to say, no matter the shape of the, the economy in Canada or the U.S., organizations are always looking for really top-notch people who will practice personal accountability and do the job. And along with that comes things like being coachable, being a learner, being curious, you know, having energy, having a heart of service, wanting to take care of people's problems. That's all character. Punctuality still counts, but organizations are always still looking for those top-notch accountable individuals, even in tough times. So believe or leave. If you're not believing in what you're doing, man, get out. See, I did it. After five years uh, with a big company, I was just unhappy. And it's not the company's fault. It was an organization with 100,000 employees. I probably had a need to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. I was a nobody. But more importantly, I sat at a desk eight to five, did not enjoy the work. Somebody once said to me, why don't you get into sales? I said, no, not me. I could never sell. Well, Next thing I knew, I was out doing interviews and selling myself. And then I found the career selling training and everything just took off from there. So I had lost belief and I did leave. John, I want to ask a question that brings me back to my childhood. Both our, our dads had an impact on us on these ones. Yours on Beat the Ref and mine on, he would always emphasize, I would always tell him I needed a new hockey stick. And he would say, you know, a good player doesn't blame the stick. Oh, and good you talk about, you know, a poor X blames the Y. So I didn't realize my dad was practicing QBQ on me as a child. Why does everyone always look to that something? I don't and, know. and how is that a differentiator for us? It's a human thing, Clint. It's a human thing. You know, in the book of Genesis, somebody blamed the snake. <laughs> Blame has been around forever. If we could just find a reason why I missed the deadline, didn't complete the project, didn't make the sale, had a bad year, my marriage fell apart, whatever. It just feels good to say, well, it wasn't my fault. And I think that's all it comes down to. Yeah, my dad, as the Cornell wrestling coach, taught me what your father was teaching you. He would say, no matter the score at the end of that match, do not blame the referee. And I remember thinking, well, Dad, what if I only lost by a point? And the human being in black and white made some questionable calls. He'd always say, well, could you have scored five more points? Could you have taken your opponent down two more times and scored four more points? He always, always focused me on what I did that night on the mat and never blamed the official. And that is exactly the same as what your wonderful father taught you. Stop blaming the stick. In fact, that's similar to the, what we teach in QBQ, and I mentioned it earlier. Sometimes people will say, well, why don't we get more tools? When are we going to get better computers? Why don't we get more staff? When are we going to get better systems? Well, it's amazing, but successful people just tend to get the job done with the tools they already have. There is a quote in the QBQ book from Deb Weber, who years ago said to me, it's a funny thing about this tools and the systems and resources thing. Every time I just get the job done at State Farm uh, with the tools I have, I am then given more tools. So what she was saying, instead of whining about what she lacked, she would go hit the goal with the stuff she had. And then management would say, wow, here's some more stuff to hit bigger goals. It's, it's all about attitude yeah. and the way I think. Good stuff. So let's wrap up the book with how would you differentiate, and I, I appreciated how you did this, between the letter of QBQ and the spirit right. of QBQ. Yeah. 
hey, rules are great, but sometimes they're meant to be bent or maybe even broken. But the, the, the guidelines of the QBQ, you know, begins with what or how, contains an eye, focuses on action. We have to understand the spirit there. The spirit is service, accountability, uh, getting things done, achieving goals, solving problems. I could make a QBQ, or excuse me, I could ask a question that begins with what or how, contains an eye, and focuses on action. Like, you know, what can I do today to help the team fail? <laughs> what can I do right now to get my wife to change? I mean, both those lousy questions begin with what or how, contain the word I, and focus on action. But they, they lack the spirit of QBQ, which is all about changing me. That's a really key point. If you're wondering why the I is in it, I'm going to tell you where that came from. Early in my career, like in the mid-90s, I was just developing QBQ. I was out teaching it. And I hadn't even figured this quite yet. I was walking around in a discussion group. I had taught some QBQ stuff, accountability. And some client of all people, a client looked up at me and he said, do you realize all the questions you just gave us have an I in them? And I remember thinking, oh, they do. Of course, I pretended like I knew that. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, yeah, they do. They all have an I in them. Well, that's where that came from. Unless I put the pronoun I in it, I'm going to focus on we. I can't change the we. They. I can't change they or them. But if it says, what can I do? It makes me focus on the only person I can change, and that's John Miller. Beautiful. I, I love that as a way to wrap up the book. Do you have time for four rapid-fire questions? Oh, absolutely, Clint. I got all the time you need. All right. What's one book that's had a significant impact on your life? You won't even believe it, probably. The Law of Success, written the law in, of success. in the 20s by Napoleon Hill, who wrote Thinking oh, Grow Rich. okay. Thinking Grow Rich, yes. I, I had it in my office here. It's upstairs in my bedroom, but it's about this thick. It's leather bound. It was written 100 years ago, and it just teaches solid core concepts like the dangers of being in debt. Something like, you look at our society today, everybody's in debt. And a lot of speakers, like a guy like Dave Ramsey, you know, they, they have a lot of fans because they say, debt is dumb, get out of debt. Well, 100 years ago, Napoleon Hill was saying, stay out of debt. <laughs> so, Law of Success. Very, it's not a book I'd recommend you go try to find, but it's just a book that made a real big difference for me. Oh, I love that. And what's on your bookshelf right now? What are you trying to take down at the moment? Well, if you look over there, which you can't see, I've got all my own books. Is that narcissistic? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I'm not much of a reader, but I am a student of what's going on in the world. So I skim headlines. I look for examples of victim thinking, entitlement, finger pointing, and blame. And then I do a lot of social media work. So my wife will say, why don't you read more? I'll say, I don't know. It just doesn't interest me. But I'm always taking in something that's going on out there so I can tie it to QBQ, push it back out into the marketplace, and maybe help some people practice accountability to a greater degree. Love it. What's one thing that John has spent less than $1,000 on in the last 12 to 18 months that's made you say, well, I wish I'd bought this sooner? I can't say a new grandchild because they just keep coming. <laughs> we have 14 grandkids. That's a, that's a win. Oh, my God. That's a win right there in itself. We have 14 grandkids. What have I bought for less wow. than $1,000? Probably some technical toy, some little... I recently bought a, a monocular. You know what a monocular is, right? It's half of a binoculars. Yeah, it's just it's a one-eyed thing. 
And uh, I've always wanted monocular. I don't know why. And I'm not even sure if it's supposed to be plural monoculars, but I bought one on Amazon a few weeks ago. And my wife will say, what are you doing? And I'll say, well, I'm just spying on people. <laughs> I thought, why didn't I buy I one? Love it. Why didn't I buy one before? It's like, it the, came... it's like the old eye, the old eyeglass yeah. to just it's look at it one eye and see it. Coincidentally, I'll just tell your fans here that it's made by Vortex, which happens to be a QBQ client. And I just ordered it off Amazon. I, when it got to me, I go, oh, my gosh, that's made by one of our clients, Vortex. Good stuff. Oh, beautiful. Because the show's about growth, learning, development, what's one behavior, mindset, shift, or habit that's had an oversized impact on you and your life, John? Are you asking me what have I changed? Sure. Okay. I mean. I am, if you know Myers-Briggs, I'm an ESTJ. If you know Styles material from the 90s or the 80s, I'm a driver analytical. I am a guy who wants to take charge. I'm an Enneagram 8. Some of your fans might know what the Enneagram is. Enneagram 8, if you ever look it up, bottom line, they want to be in charge. So my natural tendency is to be the boss. The learning area, the growth for me has been to let go and let others. And that's been something that's been a lifelong journey for me to, to in fact, it even, it's in QBQ, the ultimate QBQ. How can I let go of what I can't control? That's a powerful question. How can I let go of what I can't control? And that is the number one growth area all my life since I was just a kid. How can I stop trying to change what I can't change? How can I let go of what I can't control? How can I stop trying to fix people and just work on me? And now with seven kids, all in their 20s and 30s and 40s, they'll bring us problems. They'll bring us marital stuff. They're all married. They'll bring us frustrations. And Karen and I have both learned we can give advice, but then we have to let go. We can't make our offspring do anything that we've suggested. We think we have great wisdom, Clint, because we're boomers. And sometimes the younger people just don't listen to us and we have to let go. So that's been a growth area for me all my life. Yeah, I love that one. And- John, we went pretty deep and wide on the book. Is there anything we didn't hit that you want to make sure you leave the listeners with today? I appreciate that. I did just touch on it, but I think it's always worth almost wrapping up with it. For your listeners, your fans, your viewers, they should be asking, as I do, who have I been trying to fix? Often in code. A long time ago, a guy in a session, I was walking around another discussion crowd. I was doing a workshop on QBQ. And I remember he said to his group, he says, I'm not trying to change my wife. I'm not trying to change her. I just wish she would set more long-term goals. Well, that was his way in his mind, helping her, but he was just trying to change her. So if I'm a parent, I would look at what child I've been trying to change and ask, what can I do to be a better mom or dad? If I'm married, have a, you know, a special friend, what can I do to support this person? How can I accept them, love them just as they are? Identify who you've been trying to fix, which is a euphemism for change. Who have you been trying to change today? Let it go and ask, how can I change me? That is the essence of QBQ. Beautiful. And where can people find you? I always laugh at that because, you know, 20 years ago, I'd do interviews and we'd give out 800 numbers and addresses. Now it's like QBQ.com. That's it. QBQ.com. Stop by. Beautiful. That's a good, simple one for people to get to. QBQ.com. I was very fortunate. I love I it. I got that in 1998 and I was lucky to get it and I have kept it ever since. Love it. Thank you for joining me today on The Growth Guide. I appreciate it. Thanks, Clint. It's been fun. 
if you like the podcast, you'll love our new newsletter, The Growth Guide. Every Thursday, straight to your inbox with the goal to help you be better, achieve more, and become financially free. Check it out at our website, thegrowth.guide. Subscribe and learn more.